0: Star Trek, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is Sam.
1: Hello. I was dead, but now I'm not anymore.
0: This week, we are discussing Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Released on June 1st, 1994, the film was directed by Leonard Nimoy himself and written by longtime Star Trek writer Harve Bennett. Paramount immediately started making this film when it became clear that Wrath of Khan was doing so well. Wrath of Khan is, of course, considered the peak of Star Trek cinema. But the director of Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer, would not return to this franchise until much later. He had disagreed with a lot of the fiddling they had done with the final product, especially some of the stuff they'd done to the ending. Remember, we talked about this in the last episode. That was done without his consent. The good news is, is that throughout the whole process of Wrath of Khan, Leonard Nimoy became really excited about playing this character again, about the potential of doing new things with the character. This is sort of apocryphal, perhaps, although it comes from a lot of like pretty high sources in, in Paramount. When Paramount asked him if he wanted to reprise the role for a third feature, Nimoy apparently said, you're damn right, I want to direct that picture. It's hard to know if he misunderstood them or if he saw an opportunity to take the helm, as it
1: were. He did the old Vulcan logical bamboozle.
0: So Michael Eisner, who is the studio chief, originally was against the idea because he mistakenly believed that the actor hated Star Trek and had thought that it was because of Leonard Nimoy that Spock was killed in Wrath of Khan. We know that at that point, Leonard Nimoy had been originally, after the end of the show's run, had been originally wary about coming back to the character, but he was really pumped about it this time. Gene Roddenberry, when he was told the news... Apparently, his response was, well, I guess you hired a director you can't fire.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Because, you know. You got
1: jokes. Leonard Nimoy. Gene.
0: So, this film, which I didn't write a summary for, so I'm completely winging the summary right now. Basically, it takes place, what, like a week after the events of Wrath of Khan? Because, yeah,
1: immediately thereafter. And wow, did some of those characters change physically over a week? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like one of them's a completely different person. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so the the crew of the Enterprise returns to Earth being laureled and lauded, even though they're very sad because their victory came at great cost. We talked about this last time. It's a Pyrrhic victory that they have achieved. Laurelled, Laurel and Lotted. laurelled
1: and Lotted. Yeah. I like it.
0: They've left behind the new planet Genesis, which Starfleet is kind of like, well, everybody knows about it now. It's causing kind of a diplomatic incident that we have this technology that can just like create a new planet. And so we're just going to kind of ignore it happened for a while and just kind of see how it goes from there. But as we know, the powers that be won't just let that be. They have to take control of the technology themselves, enter a Klingon, Krug, and his crew who want to take control of the Genesis project, figure out how it works. They encounter the USS Grissom that has been left behind with Savik and Kirk's son, David, and they are looking into the mystery of Genesis. Meanwhile, Savik and David have found a child Spock on the planet because it turns out that Genesis has resurrected Spock's body and meanwhile back on earth McCoy starts having strange happenings or strange symptoms which Sarek Spock's father correctly identifies as being Spock's mind he mind melded with McCoy shortly before dying so now Kirk has to disobey orders and return to Genesis in order to save his friend that's a pretty good summary I think considering I just brought it off the top of my head what do you think
1: well, when you put it this way, the movie doesn't make any sense. Planet
0: planet's Why? called Genesis.
1: Oh. <laughs> and then Starfleet orders an exodus from it. But Spock is Jesus, which is really weird, considering the director of the film. And the fact that... Yeah, I just... Yeah. Pick a lane. Yeah. Well, which Bible story are we doing?
0: <laughs> what were your first reactions to this film?
1: I heard a thing. We haven't talked about it yet. But I have heard that every odd-numbered Star Trek movie is a trash fire. This was not a trash fire.
0: Okay, so you liked it.
1: Well, I said it wasn't a trash fire.
0: I see. Okay. So, Leonard Nimoy specifically said that his direction for this film was to return to more of an operatic type of storytelling that you get from the show. And he specifically said that the major theme is that of friendship. Quote, what should a person do to help a friend? How deeply should a friendship commitment go? And what sacrifices, what obstacles will these people endure? That's the emotion line of the film and its reason for its existence. What do you think about what this film has to say about friendship?
1: First of all, friendship is magic.
0: Yeah. Second. Okay.
1: Friendship is more important than making sure your child stays alive.
0: Yeah, because we do have Kirk's son die. Yeah,
1: it's as if he wasn't an important character ever at all.
0: Like they just introduced him so he could die. Although William Shatner believes that his reaction shot to his son's death, to the character's death, is the best acting he's ever done as Kirk. (laughs) All right. Thoughts? I mean, it's Uh, pretty sad.
1: He thinks it's his best acting. And
0: it's a pretty like brutal scene because you don't really get to see it because it kind of ends in a scuffle off camera. But it's very short and very just like it it happened.
1: Yeah, it it feels like it doesn't matter. I don't care. I didn't care about this character in the second movie. I certainly don't care about him now.
0: Okay. Okay. Well,
1: we're not supposed to care about mom because she is she's not in not this movie. present. Yeah. So this just feels like this just feels like they wanted to jettison the storyline and pretend it never happened, which is fine.
0: Mm. But his son sacrifices himself for Savick and Spock or Spock's sure. body, whatever we want to call the being that is on the Genesis planet.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is not good.
0: Okay, this part you don't think is good.
1: No, but. Unlike Star Wars, which is obsessed with everything they've done before and try to find intricate ways to explain it so they can ruin it, Star Trek's just like, nah, I don't care about that.
0: That's fair. That never happened. That's fair.
1: Oh, look, shiny.
0: Harf Bennett, who wrote this film, who had written, as I said previously, a lot of Star Trek, he starts with the last line of The Search for Spock, where Spock newly reunited with his memory, says, you are Jim, which is supposed to tell us that he's starting to remember who Kirk is, that he's starting to remember who he is. Bennett saw this film as Kirk returning to Genesis to regain his noble self. So he sees Spock as like the best part of Kirk, and that's why Kirk has to return for Spock.
1: I feel like every time I find out something about the writer's motivations and intentions. I like this movie less.
0: <laughs> well, I, unfortunately, I got a lot more for you. I
1: wish you didn't.
0: So, you meant you brought this up before, but there's a lot of explanation at the beginning of this movie. We basically get in a a small blue almost yeah. like watching it on a smaller screen is, at the beginning of this movie. It's the art. last scene it's of art. Wrath of Khan, and this is because Nimoy was concerned that people who watch this movie wouldn't, if they hadn't seen Wrath of Khan, they wouldn't know what was going on.
1: It's like he's never seen Return of the Jedi.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like,
1: come on, man. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it.
0: And then Harv Bennett also provided some Captain's Log moments, which of course is directly from the show. He wanted to figure out how to add those elements to reference things that had happened in Wrath of Khan, things that were going on without disturbing the continuity of the film and so he actually was like oh yeah i already have a way of doing this from the tv show we're just gonna have kirk start to do a captain's log
1: yeah the beginning was just yeah don't do that although you know i the previously on did not hurt my feelings right it looked it looked bad and if you're going to do the captain's log thing, which is an already established feature of the franchise, I don't know why we had to do that. It seems redundant.
0: Well, let me ask you a question. I mean, Star
1: Wars has the crawl. Star Trek has the captain's log. I, it's what I expect. It's what I need. Don't give me anything else. Get to business.
0: Well, then that brings up an interesting question. So as I pointed out, Leonard Nimoy, TV star. Yep. Harv Bennett, TV sure. writer. Right. Is this movie suffer from, or, or not suffer, depending, because you liked this movie, does it veer more into TV-type storytelling on a big screen? Unlike Wrath of Khan, well, which was more cinematic.
1: Well, if I ever say that I like TV shows that are like 13 hour movies. You know I'm being held hostage.
0: Right. We have, right? famously you know that. famously. Right, right, right.
1: So um in reverse it works much better. Okay. I write wicked TV shows. So a movie is just a two-parter. Okay. All right. I have whatever.
0: Okay. Have a good I re- time. I remember- at the time, though, you said that this felt more like an extended episode of the show. Which
1: was a compliment.
0: Okay, then Wrath of Khan. that That's what I'm drawing this question from. Right,
1: so the first movie is a Kubrickian disaster. Right. The second one is a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: third one is you know, a two-parter. And then the next one has whales.
0: And then the next one has whales. Not, no, it's
1: not set in whales. He has whales.
0: <laughs> Let's dive right into the characters. So we've talked a little bit about what this movie is supposed to be about. I've asked you about Kirk and Spock's friendship, and obviously that's the main driving motivation of Kirk in this movie. Spock is barely in this movie, partially because Leonard Nimoy is directing it, but also because it's the search for Spock. It'd be weird if you found him immediately. What do you think of McCoy... Who's given much more to do in this movie than he had been in the first two movies? Because Harve Bennett and Leonard Nimoy build on this one almost throwaway scene at the beginning or at the end of Wrath of Khan where we see Spock mind meld with McCoy and say, Remember. So they build on that and they introduce this idea that within Vulcan mythology, You transfer, if you can, you transfer your consciousness, you know, your mind, your memories, whatever, to another person. And that person has to go back to Vulcan and with the body. And that's like part of the burial process or the death process for for Vulcan. So McCoy, who doesn't know any of this? Of course, none of them know any of this. (laughs) McCoy starts to suffer from having a, a completely different personality in his head, right? He breaks into Spock's quarters. He has a mental breakdown at a Starfleet bar. He's almost institutionalized. Oh, we've all
1: been there. Well, so I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about it in the context of. So, once again, we did not watch all the episodes of the original series. That's fine. I don't know that I'm going to live long enough to see every single episode of Star Trek. It's just, (laughs) it is what it is. But I have seen several episodes of the original series. There is very little character development because it is an anti-serial. That's not how we were doing television in the 60s. Right, right, right. Well, I know. I know. I understand that. So it's episodic. There's no character development. It is... You need character continuity, in fact. Like, (laughs) character growth is bad because it's not, you know, consistent. And now you're making movies where you want character development. This is a problem because you have had these characters stuck out of necessity for television writing, which isn't a problem on television, but it's a problem here when you expect them to grow and change. I don't care about what you just said was the purpose of the movie according to the people who wrote it. I don't care. Plot-wise, it's a fine movie. It's better than a bunch of episodes that we watched, probably a bunch that we didn't watch. But, having said all that, DeForest Kelly's probably the best actor of the lot.
0: He did such a great job in this Well,
1: And this is what, you know, okay, so Shatner is... Somebody who is employed as an actor. Nimoy's fine. You know, the whole point is Spock is a wooden character, so you have to do wooden acting. Okay, great. I have no idea if that means he's good or bad at it. It could mean either one.
0: He's beloved for it. but well, yeah, yeah. And I
1: mean, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, when you look at this and you're finally, for the first time, trying to invest in these people as actors doing character work, you know, what? almost 20 years after they started doing these characters. Right, yeah. It's a little late for this conversation. But for the record, I think that Doohan and Takei get the most consistent acting awards.
0: And they have more of a role in this, too. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just consistent. It's not good or bad. It's just even. hmm Yeah. And um, I, I have nothing nice to say for... Our buddy Walter. Yeah? Yeah. Not into it? Well, I mean, he's there. Good for him. Right. Michelle Nichols is also really good. Yeah, I just... I keep thinking about this movie, and I think about it in context. It's interesting. It's a good plot. It's a good idea. The other part of this is I don't have much more time with these people. Right. And, you know, so... We're about to watch the fourth movie after we record this. So that means next week is the fifth movie. And then two weeks after that's the sixth movie. So three weeks from now, I will hardly ever see these people again.
0: Well, maybe not hardly ever. Hardly ever. ever. Right.
1: Hardly ever. I'm not saying never. I'm saying hardly ever. Mm-hmm. The point is, I am about to invest in a bunch of other characters who do develop over the course of their series. Right. So I I don't know. Just thinking about this, it's very strange. It's very odd. It is also reverse Star Wars, right? Because Star Wars doesn't become a television show until way later. Right. And so this is, it's interesting thinking about that as well, about how character development in the original Star Wars trilogy is big, larger than life. A lot happens between films. And these people just don't know how to do that. So if you tell me that they were thinking we're doing complex character work, I'm going to say if you succeeded, it's not because of anything you did. Because this is not built for that. If it happens, it happens accidentally. But they're game. This will... Yeah, but this is built for telling a story, this franchise, as of now. I think the story's fine.
0: What did you think about that plot line, though, specifically?
1: Well, that's, that's what I meant about DeForest Kelly doing good acting. Okay. He's doing really good acting, A, because presumably he's a good actor... But B, because he's given something interesting to do. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, you talk about this character building. I don't think that is good stuff for them to do in this franchise. Act like you're being possessed by, you know, your best friend's best friend. I can work with that.
0: I also really love when Kirk tells him what's going on. And he's just like, he did this on purpose because of all of the arguments he lost. That's a great callback to the dynamic between yeah. Spock and Bones on the show. Yeah. I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, it's... you Remember, I told you several episodes ago that this is a situation where Kirk is Spock's best friend and Kirk is Bones' best friend. Bones and Spock are gr- begrudgingly friends. And, you know, there was an episode where Kirk wasn't there, and this was like the time when the the glue of the friendship isn't there, and then the two people who are not really friends with each other have to spend time together, and it's awkward and weird. That's the whole movie.
0: But they develop their own friendship though outside of kirk eventually and i think that at by the end of this movie mccoy perhaps understands spock a yeah, lot better i think
1: friendship is a strong word for what this is but uh, sure. they have
0: emotional emotional connection to each other people who can't stand each other but would die for each other
1: well i didn't say they couldn't stand each other right i said they weren't friends
0: okay I'm going to go back to what uh, something you said a few minutes ago because I had not thought about it, and I think it's fascinating. When you said that this is reverse Star Wars, for a second, <laughs> I thought you were talking about how we had both talked about in Wrath of Khan that the end of Wrath of Khan is very much like the ending of Empire where like their beloved friend has died or gone missing or whatever, and they, they've got to pick up the pieces. I thought you were saying, like, it, it made me think that the search for Spock is like if the first twenty minutes of Jedi were a whole movie. Like if they had to if they had to go on a whole journey to rescue Han Solo and like oh, find him okay. and rescue him.
1: Okay. So the whales are like the ewoks. Yes. Got it.
0: Yeah. Got I just it. I, that that was just that, funny. That works I didn't fine. realize you yeah, were talking really about it as that. a series. I thought you were talking about this specific film as like a reverse Star Wars. No, I, I
1: like that the whales are the Ewoks. The whales that's,
0: are the Ewoks. That's
1: it. That's the one we're going to talk about online later, guys.
0: All right. So, I know you don't like have a lot of emotional investment in parts of this of this film, but Kirk does pretty much give the Federation the bird. Again,
1: if it's a fundamental part of your personality, do we like, is it just giving the bird or is it being awake?
0: So, the impetus for him giving Starfleet the bird is that Sarek, who's played by Mark Leonard, who played Sarek in the original series, he's played actually several Star Wars, Star Wars. He could have played Star Wars. He's actually played several Star Trek characters, but he's most famous for Sarek, Spock's dad. He comes to Kirk and basically says, where is my son's body? Where is my son's, I don't know exactly, essence or whatever? And he thinks that Spock would have given it to Kirk, although it becomes fairly obvious that he didn't because of time constraints. But he basically tells Kirk, like, why would you leave him there? Like, you How have you been with Spock all these years and don't know anything about Vulcan customs? What did you think about Sarek's, what, what do you think about them bringing Sarek why back? Why are
1: you a terrible friend? To my son, he loves you, which ruined his Vulcan ceremony, and you couldn't even be bothered to listen to him.
0: Yeah, that it? pretty much. Okay, It does feel like Leonard Nimoy is trying to bring Vulcan more firmly into these movies through the Vulcan mysticism that we get. Because there's this and then, of course, there's the scene at the end on Vulcan where they're trying to reunite Spock's body and mind. I think Mark Leonard is a pretty beloved Star Trek actor. Sarek is a pretty beloved Star Trek character, even though he's a minor character. But I I just I love his interactions with Kirk because he's just like, my son loved you. I don't know why, but he loved you. None
1: of us know why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so he assumes all these things, and it takes them a while to connect the dots that it was actually McCoy who has it. So Kirk goes to Starfleet, and I love when he goes to his superior, and is just like, we need the Enterprise to go to get Spock's body. And Starfleet's like, uh, so the thing he did in the last movie is kind of an international incident now? No. But then immediately, as soon as he walks away from that meeting, because, of course, Sulu and Chekhov have his back they're like so what do we do now and kirk's like we're gonna do it anyway
1: yeah all i'm gonna say about this is somebody was watching empire strikes back when they were writing the script because international incident Mm -hmm. blew up the death star Mm -hmm. yep uh asking permission to go do a thing Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm Han Solo, Hoth, arguing with Leia. Gonna go rescue some. Okay, that's what happens on Hoth. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Enterprise about to fall apart. They're working on the Millennium Falcon. That's actually the whole movie. That's why they end up in Cloud City. Um, Let's see. Hmm. Yep. This is actually also Empire Strikes Back.
0: Okay. I can see those parallels. Weird. So, your favorite character, Scotty, your avowed favorite character... Why did you think of his arc in this film? Because he gets a bit more to do than he did in the first two as well.
1: Belligerent.
0: Belligerent. Yes. You want to expand on that?
1: Game recognizes game. Scotty went to the Ethan Hunt school of annoying everybody.
0: Well, they transferred him off the Enterprise. He's I mean, Scottish.
1: he is Scottish. This is, right. this is his thing, right? And yeah. I love him for this. <laughs> this is great.
0: I mean, they tell him he can't work on the Enterprise anymore and then tell him to be the chief engineer of a different ship, Mm -hmm. not the Enterprise. Yeah. If they even read his service record, I feel like they could have known what was going to happen. So the rest of the crew, of course, is immediately in on Kirk's plan, like not even a hesitation. We get a great scene with Sulu taking out a guard, right, who's like taller than him. He's supposed to distract the guard, and then it shows that the guard is much larger than him. But then the next thing we see when Kirk and McCoy come out of the the prison that McCoy is being held in, he's taken the guard out. We get that. We get Chekhov. We get Uhura, who gets herself stationed in, like, a weird, like, backwoods communications post so she can help them beam up to the Enterprise. Nichelle Nichols hated any uniform that required her to wear pants. She said, this is not the character. The character has to wear a skirt. They had not designed the new uniforms to have skirts, so they actually made her a special leather skirt. A special Starfleet-issued leather skirt for her to wear. So we get a little bit more shenanigans with uniforms in this. We get to see them in civilian clothes, because besides Uhura, most of them are in civilian clothes when they get on the ship. And that's because the costume designer was like, I'm so tired of them. Like, this is not an official mission. They have civilian clothes. They have to wear other stuff besides their uniforms sometimes.
1: <laughs> so Which is which is the only costuming decision from these movies that makes any sense? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just I think one of the mistakes from the first movie that is really the gift that keeps on giving is not going back to the original uniforms. You could class them up, make them a little less awkward looking, but, I mean, those things are iconic, and we just can't go back to them. We refuse to go back to them, which feels like a bad decision. They just never get clothes right in these movies, as far as I'm concerned. And and I don't... I actively don't pay attention to it, because it's like, eh, this You're not wearing the right stuff anyway. Who cares? The one piece of wardrobe, and I know we'll come to this later, that I do remember uh, the robes that that Spock is wearing. Because as as you pointed out, and then I remembered, he's wearing them at the beginning of the next movie. Right. But yeah. The terry cloth. Yeah. and, and Right. And, you know, I think the thing about the skirt is, I think, probably until recently, wouldn't have really understood what she was going, but I get it. Yeah. I get it. I agree.
0: I imagine Nichelle Nichols was very attached to the original uniforms. Like, despite how short her skirt is in TOS, it is an iconic uniform, as you said. Right? Yeah. I do remember at the time you said that Sulu's civvy clothes are quite fantastic. They're quite fabulous, actually, because he's wearing the Japanese print silk underneath his coat. Oh, right, right,
1: right.
0: I don't know if you remember that, but... Yeah, so we do get some good wardrobe choices by George Takei. All of those costumes mysteriously disappeared by the end of the movie. The Star Trek actors are quite notorious for stealing things from that set. So that's
1: Uh, part of it. Yeah, Good for them.
0: Good for them. But yeah, as per usual, the whole gang is in. They all get on the ship to... They steal the Enterprise to go to go rescue Spock, to go get his body. Meanwhile, there's another thread happening, which is the Klingon thread. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd plays mm-hmm. a Klingon named Krug, <sighs> who is after the Genesis Project. Leonard Nimoy specifically wanted to return to the Klingons as villains because he saw a lot of Cold War parallels. In, within the Klingons that he wanted to talk about. And he wanted to talk about this idea of an arms race because Krug very specifically says that he, th- that he sees Genesis as a weapon and it doesn't matter what it was originally intended for. Despite all, all that David tells him about, no, it's not a weapon, no, it's not a weapon. He says, no, we always have to assume that the Federation will use anything they have as a weapon against us.
1: You know, if you're if you're doing the Cold War thing, I really want, I really want like a payoff in a later Star Trek movie that reveals that the Klingons were broke the whole time, <laughs> and there was no possible way that they were going to be able to do anything the Federation thought they were going to do, which would be the parallel, right?
0: right? Yeah,
1: um, as we now know. Yeah, and then and then we find out that it was the Federation who was actually using things for evil the whole time yeah right yeah because they were afraid the other side was going to do it which they probably would have if they could have but you know they were broke
0: what do you think about christopher lloyd you were excited when you Mm -hmm. saw his name in the opening credits
1: I, this was probably a poor casting choice. Really?
0: I kept yeah. expecting him to be like, great Scott, in Klingon. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> no, I, ugh, probably not good.
0: He's very campy.
1: He is, and that is a choice that you can make.
0: Do you think it suffers in comparison with Khan? Is that why you think it doesn't oh, work?
1: Well, yeah, that makes sense. Probably has a little to do with that. I just don't take them seriously as this. I mean, you know, if this was an episode of the TV show, it'd be perfect, but I'm pretty sure that's not the tone they were going for. Right. He has like a lizard dog. Yeah.
0: He kills his his uh, his underlings, much like Darth Vader does. Yep. Not not feeling it.
1: No. You didn't even feel
0: like the really hot Klingon at the beginning who steals the secrets and then Krug kills her because she knows too much?
1: Well, yeah, that was fine.
0: That was fine. That was fine. All right. So what do you think? The
1: Empire didn't have... That's the one thing the Empire's never really done.
0: Hot Klingons? Yeah.
1: No, just hot anybody. I
0: see. Yeah. I mean... Ventures? The Empire is... I guess she yeah, wasn't Empire, not though. not
1: Empire. Empire is really a sausage fest when you think about yeah, it. That's true. All we got was Brianna Tarth, and they didn't even bother write her character. That's how little they cared about her. Do we even her. see
0: her face in that movie? I, in those movies? Yeah, No. I don't think we do. Maybe we see her eye. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we actually see her.
1: So I guess that's one thing Star Trek has over, Sa- you know, like nominally sexed.
0: Right. So one of the big things that Star Trek fans like to say that they have over Star Wars, again, I love both of them. So this is not me trying to have a preference for one over the other. I do agree with the idea this is a strength of Star Trek over Star Wars is that Star Trek is much more interested in sex than Star Wars is.
1: No character in Star Wars has ever boned.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like Padme got pregnant
0: Immaculate it conception. It was immaculate
1: conception. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, I mean, and to be fair, that's how Anakin was made, too.
0: Yeah. So right? that makes so sense.
1: So nobody has ever boned
0: it turns in out- this
1: universe. And, and and really, that that's the problem. That's why Kylo Ren ended up how he ended up. Like, maybe if they'd actually just gone to bone down. <laughs> They wouldn't have had an evil kid. I don't know.
0: It turns out that scene in The Phantom Menace where Anakin's mom is explaining how there was That's no father. all babies are born. She's just actually telling Qui-Gon how babies are made. <laughs>
1: like, because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Because he's a know. Jedi who follows the rules.
0: Who would possibly Believe know it or this? not,
1: they had those.
0: Yeah. A, a lot of people say the closest thing that Star Wars has to sex is the chemistry between... Obi Wan Kenobi and Satine. That's it. I
1: didn't know. I I was really unsure of who you were gonna say. <laughs>
0: who did you I, think I was gonna say? Oh, I, yeah,
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> anyway, Obi Wan Kenobi
1: had chemistry with everybody. It's
0: true. That's that is absolutely <laughs> that is true. what
1: happens when you give a role to Hugh and McGregor. It's true. And and uh, yeah, it's gonna. I it's gonna be really interesting to see if old Obi Wan has get any it. mojo. <laughs>
0: can get it <laughs> oh god okay wait so... didn't they
1: cast mary elizabeth winstead in something Star yeah, Wars. yeah she's see, gonna be in go. sabine
0: yeah there or not in go. sabine like that's a show she's gonna be in ahsoka <laughs> i don't care actually like as soon as they were like ahsoka i'm like ahsoka tana is my favorite character and then they were like we've cast sabine and i was like the show's about sabine <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's star wars characters bone
0: <laughs> it's true <laughs> Oh my God, we're way off topic. Uh, just Are want to know. We? we were talking
1: about hot Klingons. That's true. Hot Klingons and how people bone in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> it's
0: we know true. Kirk
1: did because he had a child. All of Not them that do. He cared about the child, but I look at Kirk and I look at that uh, the 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 scientist,
0: Doctor Marcus. I, yeah, And
1: I believe they boned.
0: They did bone. Yeah, yep. did. I believe that I have Kirk no boned. No
1: questions about that.
0: I believe that most of the characters on had that me's
1: pregnant. ship. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> But this I understand.
0: I believe most of the characters on that ship have boned. On the Enterprise, I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in space. So,
0: <laughs> what else are you gonna do?
1: I mean, you're not like the Navy, it well, probably not now, but okay, this Unlike like- the Navy for most of the time, this is co-ed. This- so which which is not ne- which isn't necessarily a requirement, <laughs> but it does give you options.
0: It does give you some options. There you and there's it. more than one species in Federation. Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah, and that's a weakness of Star Wars too. Like, yeah. I can't
0: interspecies bonding. Yeah,
1: you don't really get any hint that that's. I mean, twi-lex. I guess you do with the Twi'leks. Yeah, but I like how they introduce the idea that an entire species are reluctant sex workers, but sex, but this is a sexless galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's weird.
0: Yeah, it feels like they're very uncomfortable with sex.
1: Yeah, it's like I mean they're supposed to be sex workers, but like they're more like pleasure workers.
0: They're, they're like cool I don't to know what at. like they
1: play part cheesy for money. Look, I don't know.
0: Jabba the Hutt. This is rapidly becoming a Tessa oh. and Sam watch Star Wars. Jabba the Hutt it, kidnaps no. and enslaves Leia.
1: Okay, you what know,
0: did you think he was gonna do with okay, her? Okay,
1: that's right. You're right. Jabba the Hutt. Is the only person in the Star Wars universe who has sex feelings.
0: I wasn't going to go that that's far. That's bad. Yeah, I wasn't actually going to go that far. Java
1: the Hutt.
0: I was going to say that he keeps her around as sort of like a cachet. Like... Java
1: the Hutt. Does that mean that people who created the Star Wars universe think sex is bad? Maybe. Because that's bad.
0: This seems like an exploration that we should definitely talk about, but not in this podcast. Okay,
1: this digression digression is worth it because, by comparison, this is something that Star Trek clearly does better.
0: Oh yeah, 100%.
1: There you go. Now we're on topic.
0: There is boning in this movie as well because... When? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because on the planet of Genesis, which is rapidly going through all of these like malformations, because we find out that David did shortcuts in science, which is like a whole other storyline. Savick, who has been recast as Robin Curtis, I guess we should stop there first. What did you think about the recast of Savick by Robin Curtis? uh K- Kirstie Alley was scared of being typecast, so she didn't want to come <laughs> back for the movie. <laughs>
1: She can do that all by herself.
0: So instead, they hire Robin Curtis to play her. Thoughts yeah. about her version of this character? Thumbs up. Thumbs up? All yep. right. So they find Spock, and Spock is rapidly growing, just like the planet is. It's ra- He's rapidly aging. They find him as a small child. By the next day, he's like a teenager. And of course, because as we know from the Star Trek mythology, Ponfar happens every seven years to Vulcan, adult Vulcan males. And so he's going through Ponfar, which is very painful. As we know, there's only two ways to resolve Ponfar. And Savik, I don't, she's mostly Vulcan, or at least the way she lives her life is Vulcan, so I'm not sure pity would be exactly the word that we're using here. But she decides to help him relieve the Ponfar, and we get a repeat of some of that weird finger foreplay Stroking.
1: Finger foreplay. That's what you're gonna call it. It's clean it's not it there are no swears in what you would say here. No, no. Because
0: they touch fingers.
1: They finger bang. They
0: finger bang. Yeah.
1: Say it like you said it when (laughs) you were watching the movie. They finger bang. First
0: of all, you said finger bang. I
1: said it after you said it.
0: No, you said finger bang when we talked about it the first time. Right,
1: so you said it this time. In the
0: show, yeah. This so is get, on you. We get more of that, and then it cuts away. But the implication is, they had sex.
1: Don't they do it twice?
0: Probably a couple of times. Oh, right. Because of Ponfar, because every, like...
1: Which, by the way, shenanigans, right? You're telling me it happens every seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, first of all, it's nice that Vulcan apparently has the same... Solar cycle. I think it's seven Vulcan years. Well, right. So seven Vulcan years. How many years is that? Second of all, are you telling me that Ponfar is connected to. So Vulcan biological development can be measured by Vulcan years and a body so like we're 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 measuring development in years or other option you're telling me that it just happens every so often what i'm trying to say here is it doesn't happen every seven years it happens at at so, so at, at at every point of cellular regeneration in the body
0: Ah, I see. Right, yeah. it has
1: nothing to do with time.
0: Right, I, that might be like a clever way of just saying like yeah, there's shenan- certain amounts of time that pass. I, I understand. Right,
1: it, this like because the whole thing about it is is if it's every seven years, if it's somehow connected to like the sun, no, that's not what happens. Right. So it 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 has to do with bodily development. Right. Which could be really important, by the way. So like if. Star Trek, I don't know, has, I don't guess they've done this yet, but almost every space franchise does deep sleep, right? hmm So, in theory, if deep sleep is the body ceasing, thousands of years could pass without Pon Far. It doesn't happen every seven years. It happens right. every, every like, right. that works out to be seven It years.
0: works out to be around seven years, probably. It's probably a shorthand of trying to explain it.
1: Well, right. I'm just saying this is, this is, you know, I'm not really good at spotting plot holes as they happen. I'm decent at spotting like the first little thread frame.
0: Well, I mean, it's like, like saying... this could
1: come back later and I'm going to call it when it does.
0: It's like, it's like saying that puberty happens around... 12 to right. 14 right like it there's not really an exact measurement and for some people it happens earlier for and some for people Vulcans, it happens later
1: and for Vulcans not an exact measurement is something they're totally gonna be cool with, right. no right but
0: they don't like Ponfar Ponfar is embarrassing well, to them yeah so because it represents a loss it's
1: of control not logical
0: right uh but yeah they it seems like by the end of this movie Savik and Spock have agreed to never speak of this again I mean, she's his mentee and he's her mentor. I mean, he's not exactly the Spock that she knows why would at they that ha- point. Why would
1: they have to agree never to talk about this again? They're both on the same page here. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's fine. It, right. You, you, that's the whole point, right? It's not supposed to be something they feel any shame about. It's just... It happened. We did what we did.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I just was curious what you thought about that.
1: It's like, like you're at a party... And you're playing, like, spin the bottle, seven minutes in heaven, and this is just what happened. Yep. This is what was expected of us. Did it. It doesn't signify anything.
0: This does bring up a very interesting question, though, that you talked about a little bit during the movie because you weren't sure how you felt about it. How do you feel about Spock's body and mind being separated in this way? Where, like, his memories and his consciousness are in McCoy but his body is on the planet and his body never speaks. There's no sign of like Mm -hmm. intelligence, but it's got these like animal instincts. First of all, do you think you can separate the body and mind in this way? Because that's a subject of some philosophical debate. I don't think you can. You don't think so. But not without fundamentally changing
1: the person. Well, right. You're, you're more invested in this than I am. I, you know, because there's, there's a lot I mean, depending on how you look at it, there's a lot at stake, right? And and so I, as you know, tend to fall on the other side, which which is that there is a, some sort of dualistic thing here, and I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. Spock's not on Genesis. Right. At no point is Spock on Genesis. That is Clay.
0: That is what the movie would have us believe, right? Right.
1: He's in he's in bones the whole time.
0: Right. Do you think that when they put Spock's consciousness back in his body that they killed anyone? No. Okay. Cuz for me that's the important philosophical distinction because no. he's like running around having experiences well, even though so, he doesn't talk.
1: So you know how in Frankenstein <laughs> You know how in young Frankenstein where he gets the abnormal brain Mm -hmm. and puts Okay, so so okay. This is like Frankenstein. Yeah. Except what they did was they didn't take any organic matter.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? Like there there is no other person organic matter used here. There is a body. That body came from Spock's old body, right? We already talked about cellular regeneration here, right? So, so, and and then all they had to do was put the consciousness back in it. So you had organic matter that came from Spock. You had his consciousness. But what's what's the problem here? This is this is ethical Frankensteining, okay, including the mad scientist. Who did the shortcuts.
0: Right. Which, which is,
1: this is the only reason Spock comes back is because dude did a shortcut.
0: Because David right. used the really unstable particles or whatever that he wasn't supposed to use. But he right, couldn't find another way. Which causes several problems. Right. But
1: also makes Spock not dead.
0: Because we find out Genesis is a failure. The planet right. cannot sustain itself. Right. Right. There's also like... Because, you-
1: because Genesis violates entropy. Right. The, the, we... we In this household, we obey the laws of thermodynamics. This will not work.
0: (laughs) This will not work. So you mentioned this at the top of the episode. There's also a lot of Christian parallels to the Spock resurrection story, up to and including Savick and David finding the the photon torpedo tube, and it's empty, right? It's the apostles finding the tomb, and it's empty. Weird, because Leonard Nimoy is Jewish, and the (laughs) the Vulcans are very much based on Jewish mysticism.
1: Yeah, it's weird.
0: There's two things I want to talk about. There's a big twist at the end of this movie. Kirk finally does what he's been threatening to do throughout the entire show and self-destructs the Enterprise. The Enterprise is gone. We see it explode.
1: Kind of like in Return of the Jedi, where he knocks off the uh the, the radio tower and they're in because you remember in the original script for Return of the Jedi, this was gonna happen. Right. Right. They don't make it out of the Death Star. Yeah. So once again, this one might be inadvertent, but but same idea. And um, so it's not surprising. I mean, the thing was on its last legs anyway. I mean, it's kind of like if you have a car that's never going to start again and you need to ram a car into something for something to happen, I don't know what situation this would be. But if it ever came up and you're like, well, this car's never starting again, might as well. It makes complete sense to me. If I'm in a new car, I'm going to be like, well, maybe not this car.
0: Also not surprising, Kirk's password is basically password. 000.
1: Password, yeah. Yeah,
0: that has not changed in 20 years. Yeah. Because we've seen him do this before, threatened threaten to do it before. This time, he just lets it actually explode. Yep. And kills most of Krug's crew right. along with it. So this brings us into the final thing I wanted to talk about. Generally, people liked this movie. Like, most people thought... When it came out, it wasn't right. as good as Wrath of Khan, but they liked it. Sure. But one of the main points of contention was the special effects. Some people really liked them. Some mm-hmm. people really didn't. I'm curious to know what your take is on the special effects of this movie, especially if you compare them to, say, Wrath of Khan.
1: And, you know, I all I remember thinking is they must have had a slightly smaller budget for this movie.
0: A sm- slightly smaller budget is true. Most of this movie was filmed on sound stages because of the budget, which was the main point of contention between some of the critics who are like, it's really obvious that this is being filmed mostly on soundstage. Yeah. Well,
1: you know me. I can overlook a lot if I'm interested.
0: Right. So it's also a lot of it was shot with models and miniatures as well. Um, The Enterprise that gets blown up is the original model from the show. Apparently, the set designer of this, the special effects director of this film hated that model and so took great pleasure in blowing it up.
1: you know it's, it's nice when people are able to realize their dreams <laughs> I'm, I'm for it generally.
0: They only filmed a couple of things on location but a lot of people really praised the model work with the bird the Klingon bird of prey, the ship yeah and the ways in which they made the, the cloaking technology look on screen. I mean, Leonard Nimoy is not a special effects director. He's no. not someone who comes from that background. So I, that's why I'm curious to know your... He was given a smaller budget I, and he didn't know Star how to Trek do special never effects. never
1: been about this. Like, okay. it doesn't matter. I, 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 It's fine. I don't care. They can totally get away with this because that's not what Star Trek's about.
0: Did you like the Klingon lizard dog? Yeah. He was cool. Yeah. What did you... We saw this at the beginning of the first movie, and this will be my final question... What did you think about the new Klingon look, now that we got to see it a little bit more in action?
1: No, it's great. forehead ridges. And that's why Christopher Lloyd's a mistake, because they do such a good job with the Klingon makeup that I don't think you could reasonably expect to recognize him as Christopher Lloyd until he opens his mouth, which is probably a good thing. I don't need a recognizable actor in an unrecognizable species person. (laughs) I just don't need it.
0: I mean, and that's fair because I have to say, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, there are well-beloved characters in later shows who are Klingons who I swear to God, I need to be reminded of what they look like without the makeup. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely true. Just because we keep track of these things, that Klingon makeup took two hours to apply. Every single time. We do keep track of these things. It's not quite as bad as the Mystique Eight Hours. No. But still, long time. Anything else you want to say about this movie? Final thoughts?
1: It was all right.
0: Yeah. It, it does feel, like you said, like an extended television episode. But not in a bad yeah. way.
1: All right is not bad. Yeah. The Rise of Skywalker taught me that. <laughs>
0: Next up on Sam watches Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy continues Spock's return arc in Star Trek 4, The Voyage Home. There's time travel. There are whales. You can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And you can find Sam at Sam underscore Morris 9. Until next time, live long and prosper.